We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to Transformative Principal. I am very excited to have on the program today, Bill Eccles. He is an administrator of professional learning, supporting K-12 needs in the area of professional learning communities and coaching in Wake County Public Schools in North Carolina. Bill, welcome to Transformative Principal. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to spend some time with you on your podcast today. Well, thanks, man. I'm excited to talk to you. You and I met at the New Team Habits Conference in Denver a uh-huh. few months ago, and I I just really loved your approach to life. And one of the things that you did that I was so impressed by is you took notes on how they led their PD and then shared them with everybody that that was there experiencing that also. And I just thought that was so honorable and so cool of you to do that. And I don't know if I've told you that yet, but I just really respect you for like being detail oriented and focused and organized enough to be able to pull that off. It was awesome. Oh man, thank you. I I appreciate it. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your story, about where, how you got to where you're at. You know, we don't need the whole life story for two hours, sure. but, you know, just give us a little, <laughs> the highlights. Sure, sure. So born and raised in a small town in Virginia called Martinsville. Um, most people know it from NASCAR. We have a short track there. And just kind of fast forward, I, I received my undergraduate degree from Hampton University, a small black HBCU, a small private HBCU in, in Hampton, Virginia. Studied psychology there. I taught for a couple of years in my hometown, ironically, at the same middle school that I attended um, growing up. I I taught there for two years and 
then went back and got my master's in um, school counseling at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. And, and my goal was to just spend a couple of years in school counseling, it, kind of building up experiences to go into administration. And so I said, I'll spend three years in school counseling. I blinked and it was 11 years. <laughs> just felt like I felt like just middle school in general is just such a calling, man. And I, I really appreciated that that relationship that I had with students and staff. And that kind of led me down the path of professional learning. You know, I began putting together some things for best practices around working with students, um, ways to build relationship with administrators. And it kind of branched out and started doing some work on my own with community colleges and and, and kind of the next steps I attribute Twitter <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to my current role in professional learning at the time the director of professional learning, we knew each other from Twitter, but we had never met face to face. And I had started like tweeting a bunch of things around, you know, my, my program, I'm, I'm working on my doctorate in organizational leadership and started promoting some of the things that I was doing, some of the professional learning I was doing with other school districts and community colleges. And um, she reached out, we had a conversation and lo and behold, I interviewed for the position in our district. And the next week they offered me the job. And it just that I feel like kind of speaks to the power of of, of Twitter and then mm-hmm. networking through social media. So, yeah, I, I think just that unique background of, you know, relationships being a, a huge foundational piece for me, um, especially as a school counselor and serving as a liaison between staff and students many times. And now having an even bigger impact on student outcomes by working with adults, their mindset and um, helping them become better professionals. So I can confidently say that every job that I've gotten since uh, I joined Twitter in 2007 has been one, a promotion and because of networking on social media. And that is just incredibly powerful. The thing that's scary to me now is that we've put all of our effort and trust into these social media platforms Mm -hmm. and they're starting to betray that trust and and making it so that, you know, you got to pay to connect with everybody and you got to pay to have people see what you're doing. Yeah. You know, it's all about boosting your posts. And and I really think that the next wave is going to be us owning our communication with the people that want to be with us. And, you know, just this week I was I sent out an email pretty regularly to people who listen to the podcast and follow me on social media. And that's a direct connection with those people that you know, I don't have to go through a gatekeeper. And just this last week, I sent something out and one person told me that they were doing the thing that I suggested in the email. And it's like that kind of one-on-one connection is really, really powerful. And that's what the power of Twitter is, is connecting with people. It's not just being out there and sharing stuff and following people, but it's actually making those connections. And it's so much more than just, you know, using a tool. Talk to me a little bit about your perspective on on that idea of the relationships that you form uh, on the web and in person with people you're working with. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I, I agree 100%. I think, you know, we people often and organizations and companies often find a way to try to monetize things or, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a, a much larger conversation around like capitalism and, <laughs> and, and, and greed and monetization of, of, of just networking and connections, but it's, it's so true. I think, you know, platforms like Twitter or 
you know, Facebook, I, I feel like those, and I, and I often refer to connections on social media as just that, as connections. Like people say, oh, you have this many followers or, oh, what are your followers look like? And I, I often, I, I don't use the language of followers. I often say just, oh, we're connected on Twitter or not like you mm. follow me on Twitter. And I think, I think we can have those authentic relationships. And again, like both of us, we just shared examples of you know, moving up in our professions and in our career through networking, through social media, specifically Twitter. And I think those conversations and that the dialogue that happens in those spaces can be just as meaningful. Um, and a, a really quick example, there's a, a Black Male Educators Talk group, BME's Talk, and it's a space for like, Black male educators to connect virtually. Um, and just, I guess, Black males being kind of unicorns or rare in so many spaces, especially in the classroom, it's hard to kind of find that network. And I feel like that is a, that's been a great way to kind of leverage uh, that learning community and have people connect Mm. and feel supported at a distance. And I I feel like, you know, even like attending conferences, like one thing that I I do to kind of, uh, I feel like I'm a a people collector, (laughs) like in the book Outliers by Malcolm Gladwell, you talk about like mavens and connectors. I definitely feel like I'm a connector and a collector of people. So when I go to conferences, for example, like learning forward, like I I start a Twitter list and everyone that I meet face to face at the conference, I add them to that list. So every year I attend the conference, I have a running tab of who I met and like kind of a, a quick story behind how we connected. And I guess that just kind of speaks to how we can maintain those face-to-face relationships virtually when we have the opportunity to meet people um, in real life. It's, it's a, it's a really powerful thing. Yeah. That that's a great strategy for managing the people you meet is to create a Twitter list to, to have them on there. I think that's really great. I want to go back to this idea that you talked about with black males being like unicorns. I think that that is a really powerful way to explain that. And I think about the, the black male students that I had and their lack of role models in so many areas and their, the role models that they would turn to mm-hmm. would be people that you really don't want to be role models for our kids, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and we had this opportunity to get a tutor into our school and we met this guy who was a black male. And I got to tell you, once he came into our building, Phil, it totally changed things because all those young black men had someone to look up to now mm-hmm. and the way that he could connect with them and the way that he could communicate with them was not anything that I could do no matter how hard I tried. And, and that to me was so powerful, the power of having a role model, a unicorn out there. I just thought that that was, that was so so awesome and so good for those for those boys to have and for the girls too Mm -hmm. but especially for the boys they had someone to look up to and i really think that that's powerful so i've never thought of it like unicorns but i love that that phrase (laughs) it it really drives home that there's something magical about it yeah yeah and just and again not not everywhere but in many spaces you know i guess we are small in numbers and i find that in our area, like in my school district, particularly, there is a 
a large amount of African-American males moving into like administration, kind of moving up the ladder Mm -hmm. in a sense, but not necessarily staying in the classroom. And and so I like, and just kind of sharing a personal example. So the middle school that I worked at when I was a a few years back in the, as a school counselor, like my staff, it was about, we had like a hundred plus staff members total, um, about 12, 1200 students in the entire school. And of those hundred plus staff members, we had about seven African Americans on staff and, and myself, another school counselor, the school resource officer, um, two keyboarding teachers and uh, two custodians. And there was a very small percentage of African Americans in the building. And I, and people would always ask like, oh, like Eccles, why do you stay at the school? Like you could be at another school where there's a higher percentage of minority students who might need to see you or might need your presence or your mentorship. And, you know, I, I kind of pushed back a little and said, yes, I, I could be in those spaces. But I said, I feel like I'm just as needed in this space because other people need to see African-American males in these positions also. And it, it's it's not just you know, for many students, I guess, working up to sixth, seventh and eighth grade, not even just being an African-American male, but I may have been one of the few males that students have even interacted with in a, a school building. So, I mean, and I know a friend of mine, there's research behind, um, you know, anyone can make connections and, and encourage and motivate students. I mean, the, having a certain background can help form and forge relationships a little bit faster in certain instances, but, you know, all educators can reach students. And I just feel like, you know, that representation needs to be seen uh, by all, all students that will be contributing members to society as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really powerful story, Phil. I think one of the things that I admire about you is this idea of being able to think deeply about what you're doing and why you're doing it. And, you know, that has we've only known each other a little bit, but I already feel like that is like a hallmark of who you are. And is that something that is a talent you have honed or is that something that you feel like you were born with or what's the story on you thinking so deeply about things? Man, that's a really good question. (laughs) And, (laughs) and, you know, honestly, I attribute my parents, first of all, DNA (laughs) and my, my father. Yeah. It actually, my, so my father is a minister and he is retiring this month, December, and he has been wow. at the same church for 43 years as a pastor. Wow. And um, my That's longevity. It, oh, definitely. For sure. Um, longer than I've been alive. You know, they moved here. They moved <laughs> there. My parents moved to Martinsville a couple of years before I was born. And my mother was... Uh, she was a retired first grade teacher. She had 30 plus years in education. And so I just kind of think, think about, I guess, the patience and consideration and care and just kind of social justice aspect that my parents had. And I think a lot of my patience and reflection comes from them, you know, so I feel like I had a pretty good head start <laughs> in life just with it being a, fa- a part of the fabric of my household and a part of kind of who I am. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I feel like that is something that I have been working on as well, 
just just with like emotional intelligence, I recognize that I, I do have a I what I consider to be a, a pretty high level of emotional intelligence, but it's something that I'm cognizant of and have just just wanted to really work on, especially in the profession of like school counseling and a, adult learning of just having that patience and, and being a reflective practitioner. Mm-hmm. So what is it that you do to help yourself to get better and improve on a regular basis? I think I always, well, I don't want to say always, but one thing that I do is I often ask myself, I guess, before entering spaces, before even starting my day, I kind of enter spaces with the, with the mind frame of who do I need to be in this space? And I, I often ask myself the question, and I've, I've tweeted about this too. So when I, when I sit down in meetings, sometimes you'll see that I jot down in the top right-hand corner of the agenda or on a post-it note, I'll put up a couple of things that I feel like I need to do or who I need to be. And it might be a listener. It might be a leader. It might be an idea generator. It might be a paraphraser for clarity. Like I'm always just trying to ask myself before entering a space, like what skills do I really need to bring to the table and which hat do I need to have on in this space? And then I just kind of evaluate, you know, at the end of each day, you know, was I who I needed to be? And I I feel like that has just become a habit of mine over time of just reflecting on how am I bringing my best self to the table in every space every day. And so when you go into those meetings and you think of the kind of person that you need to be, what influences that decision? How do you know what kind of person you need to be in that? Sure. And, and just kind of tying back into relationships too, you know, just from group dynamics, you know, one person can change the entire temperature of a, of a group or a room. You know, you think about uh, like a, a PLC, like meeting on their grade level hallway or in their, their core classrooms and you add an assistant principal or you add a school counselor or a helpful living teacher, and that can change the entire dynamics of, of the group. Um, the, the relationships of the people at the table require different things from different people. You know, so I, I kind of, one thing that I do is just consider, you know, who is at the table and given any past experiences I might have had in either previous meetings or in one-on-one conversations, I just, I really try to be mindful of, of of what types of skills and things I need to place on the table with this group. And, and I think, again, it's just a mindfulness and being able to kind of read um, who is in the room and just paying attention to myself and others, which, which is one of the norms of collaborative work, but just really going into those spaces, paying attention to myself and recognizing you know, whether the people might need and, and just giving grace to, you know, just presuming positive intentions that we all come to the table with different experiences, um, different backgrounds, different needs. We've all had, it, we, depending on which side of the bed we all woke up on <laughs> that morning, <laughs> you know, it's just a, a lot of dynamics are at play. So I always just try to presume positive intention, intentions and pay attention to myself and others that are at the table. Yeah, that's that's really powerful. I so I'm an external processor. I'm an extrovert. I'm someone who thinks by talking, and I I've noticed this about myself and done some things to try to help myself be better about that. And one of the things that I do when I go into meetings is I 
attempt, I don't always do this, but when I'm being thoughtful and reflective, which is not as often as I would like to say it is, I, <laughs> I make a little diagram on my paper and I note, you know, who's all sitting where. Oh, uh-huh. And then I put a little X through them every time they say something so that everybody else says something before I say something. And I got to tell you, that is incredibly difficult for me because I love to talk. I love to have a conversation, but I know that I can be overbearing and I know that I can come across as having all the answers. And that's not necessarily what I want it to be. Yes. I want to be helpful and supportive. And so for me, being able to do that one little thing is, is, you know, trying to take a page out of your book and trying to say, okay, what do I need to do here? And for me, I need to listen most of the time. And that's just a difficult thing for me that, uh, you know, I'm just not very good at. And it takes a lot of effort. And I have to draw that out and mark off people who have talked so that I don't take up the whole entire conversation. And and that's a tough thing for me to do. But I've found such benefit in doing it because it gives other people opportunities to talk and and be who they need to be in that meeting also. Man, absolutely. That That's a great strategy, especially you know, kind of given your podcast and your role as an administrator, many times, you know, your idea can be very leading, you know, with, within conversation. Yeah. And that's great to kind of hear the perspective of everyone else at the table first, giving them a, an opportunity to kind of share their voice and place ideas on the table and then sharing yours. No, I, I'm, I, look, I'm jotting notes down as you're talking <laughs> <laughs> to add some pages yeah. to my book. <laughs> Yeah. So the other thing that I've that I've done with that with what you just said as as the administrator your ideas can be very leading. Another thing that I've done is I've is I've spoken first at times to say to be leading intentionally to say this is the direction that either the district says we have to head or these are the non-negotiables or these are the things that we're working on or whatever to lay that groundwork and say here's the frame in which we can work. And I'm definitely not a detail person. So everybody else can work on all the details, but here's the big vision that I need to establish. And then, you know, I I don't care what happens next. You guys, I trust you that you're going to do awesome work. And that's been another strategy that I use to, to help get myself out of the way and say, here's all I'm going to say. And then I can stop talking and let everybody else, you know, come up with the different ideas. And that's been really successful. Well, as well. Is there anything else about relational leadership that you feel we need to, to talk about? I mean, this podcast is almost over and we've, you know, I feel like we've just started talking two seconds ago. So <laughs> yeah. sometimes it goes by quick. You no, know, um, well, a cu- just a, a couple of things that I really wanted to just touch on were, you know, relationships are foundational. And this, this is something where my perspective has shifted over the years is that I'm such a relationship oriented leader and person um, that sometimes I can be too heavy on the relationship and we don't get everything done that we need to, to do. <laughs> you know, I guess when, a, when someone like me is trying to balance participation and make sure every voice is heard and make sure everyone's had their say, sometimes we don't get to the meat of a meeting. So I took a course a few years back called Facilitative Leadership And it talked about the dimensions of success. And it was just this equilateral triangle between relationships, processes, and tasks. And so, 
you know, recognizing that that relationship sometimes can be overlooked as as such a foundational or integral component of success in in whatever success might look like. And when we focus too heavily on tasks or processes, it's not as long standing because it's missing that foundational piece of relationships. And, And just one other thing that I wanted to highlight from, I guess, the research is a theory called leader member exchange theory. And it focuses on within the relational leadership umbrella, it focuses on uh, three components, the leader, the follower, and the exchanges between those two. And most leadership theories just focus on the leader and the characteristics and attributes that that leader um, has. But this is one of the few that focuses on the exchange between the leader and follower because they both bring something to the table. And I guess the higher quality exchanges between the leader and follower, um, the better the results. And leaders often have in-groups and out-groups. So, you know, if you're in a a leader's in-group, there are benefits to that. And and so, you know, you're the go-to person for inside information. Um, You get additional responsibilities. You receive, often receive tasks that you're interested in, or you get first priority in tasks. But kind of if you're in the out-group, you know, there may not be extra work or extra opportunities. You might not be in the know with information. If you need a day off, it's a little bit more difficult. <laughs> so I guess the goal for relational leadership is to harness that collective relationship with everyone, but also individually make people or help people feel like they are in the in-group. You know, how do you level the playing field with access to information? How do you make everyone feel like they matter and that their voice is heard. And I recognize that's very exhausting given the day-to-day ins and outs of administrators or leaders. You know, but if you if we think about like turnover in buildings or people feeling valued or people feeling like they have equal opportunity for advancement and, and support in buildings, um, relations, relational leadership is, a, is definitely a way to go and a way to really help people feel valued and supported. Yeah, boy, there's a lot of great stuff there. One of the pieces that I, that I want to comment on is that idea of the leader member exchange theory. Um, and I'm reading a book right now called The Coaching Habit, I think is what it's called. Oh, yes, uh, I've heard of it. Yeah, I'm really liking it a lot. I just started it, but so far, it's that's what it is really all about. Uh, the Coaching Habit, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever. And really, um, I haven't read it all the way yet, but I'm pretty sure the focus is going to be there's a leader, there's a follower, and the exchanges between those, which the leader can control by asking good questions and by not talking as much, they can control those good quality exchanges between them, which will make the relationship, the leadership, the followership, all of that better through that process of not talking as much and and listening and asking questions. So I think that that's really, really, really valuable. So, uh, Bill, if people want to follow you on Twitter, they go to Bill Eccles. That's your handle on Twitter. Is that right? Yes. And uh, I often, I often joke and say, Phil Eccles, everything. (laughs) Uh, I I cornered the market on, on Phil Eccles. So yeah, Snapchat, Instagram, (laughs) Facebook, Phil Eccles, everything, even phileccles.com. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, So the last question I ask is, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? I would say 
one of the most valuable things a principal could do this week is to just be more mindful of their interactions with their individual interactions with all of their staff members. It's so easy to get caught up in, you know, the people that are in your in-group or the, the people that you regularly connect with and lean on. But what are your interactions? Like how can you be more mindful and intentional with the individual interactions with each one of your staff members? Yeah, I think that's great advice. Bill, once again, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. And everybody, make sure you go check out Bill. Bill Eccles everywhere. Thanks so much. I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, this is Jethro. Thanks so much for listening to that episode of Transformative Principle. I hope that you enjoyed it. And I want to remind you, I am going out on my own. So I'm looking for uh, opportunities to help schools implement things that are related to student-driven learning. So if you'd like to work with me, please go to jethrojones.com. And you'll be able to enter your information there and we can schedule a chat to talk and figure out how we can help move kids forward and be in control of their own learning. Thanks so much. That's JethroJones.com. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.